This is week two of a series we're calling Peace and Quiet, developing the discipline of slowing down in a world intent on speeding up. And I just had a question as we start, how many people tried this last week to unplug somewhat from what you're normally doing? Few, few, yeah, few. How many people was it a, a breath of fresh air? How many people need to detox? <laughs> like nervous twitches. It, it, was a, it was so funny, a couple weeks ago when I deleted Facebook on my phone, I found myself the next few weeks or few days just scrolling to that page where it was on my phone randomly. And like, what? And I, all I could think of was the slot machines. <laughs> like they, they have hooked our society. And um, I think it's really interesting, psychologists, psychiatrists have come up with a, a new phrase. They've invented a new epidemic. Right? I should say, um, they didn't invent it. They just named it. We, as a culture and a society, have invented it. But it's called hurry sickness. As in a disease. That you're constantly running and going so fast. And they define it like this, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Okay. Another definition, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get fluster, flustered when, they in, or when encountering any kind of delay. Anyone? Okay. So this, this term was coined by a guy named Meyer Friedman. And he wasn't a psychologist. He was actually a cardiologist who worked with people's hearts. And he said it was this, a continuous struggle, an unrelenting attempt, unrelenting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things, to participate in more and more events in less and less time. He noticed these patients were all always displayed a sense of time urgency. Okay. Sound like anyone? Now, one thing I didn't mention about Meyer Friedman, Meyer Friedman was a um, cardiologist who practiced back in the 1950s. In the 1950s, this cardiologist noticed that the pace of life was picking up to a, a pace that was almost unsustainable. And because of it, people were having heart problems and blood pressure problems. And so I wanted to give you a little test this morning to see if you might have hurry sickness. And so a, a couple of ground rules real quick. Um, this will help you out later in the afternoon. Do not elbow or nudge the person next to you. Because I am an equal op opportunity offender. And I promise one of these will... will speak to you. And so um, there's a test that we're going to do, and here are the answers, and you can jot them down on a little piece of paper if you want, or um, try not to do your phone, just because it's like completely against the series. But one is seldom. I, I very seldom do this. Two is sometimes. It's, it at least happens. Um, and then three is frequent. Okay, So it's not super complex. We don't need you Oh, what do I do? do I, is it a four or a five? Maybe it's a 4.5. Just, just go with it, okay? So number one, 
You feel everything is urgent. You feel everything is urgent. Number two, you're constantly checking the time. Number three, you're constantly walking fast even when you don't have somewhere to be. Four, you're constantly driving fast above the speed limit even when you don't have somewhere to be. Five, you are often quick to speak or respond. Six, you move from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter. <laughs> Any nervous twitches going on? Seven, counting the cars and getting in the lane that looks to have the least number of cars or is moving the fastest. Eight, constant multitasking to the point of forgetting the tasks. What were you doing? Nine, you eat fast. And 10, can't relax, rest, or sleep because your mind is constantly thinking about what you need to do. Describe anyone? Because if you scored maybe a, a 10, congratulations. Um, I'm going to start learning from, can I sit at your feet? Um, my guess is a lot more of us scored 20s, maybe even some 30. Perfect score. Yeah, woo! ACT, right? This is golf, not, um, not basketball, all right? The lower is, of course, better. And the whole basis of this series is this question. What will this new pace of life? do to your soul. Because I think the pace, the hurriedness that so often um, describes us is like violence to our soul. It's almost as if our soul can't breathe. It doesn't have space. Because we do more and more and more and we fit in more and more and more. And here's the thing, hurry kills relationships. Hurry makes love very difficult because love needs space. It makes joy and gratitude and appreciation diminish. And it makes it very difficult to enjoy the time. And I talk to more and more people who see like, it just seems like the time is speeding up. Everything's going faster. Man, where did that decade go? Where did the past 25 years go? And I wonder if the problem isn't, as we say, time has been speeding up. But it's that we have been speeding up. Speeding up to a pace that it's almost difficult to see what's happening around us. So hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is is a disordered soul. 
Hurry is not, I need to reorganize and become a better um, producer and get more organized and scheduled. And if I have a planner with the right apps that alert me and tell me, then I'm going to get more things done. It's not about a disordered schedule. It's about a disordered soul. And we chase and we chase and we run and we run and we go faster and faster and faster to get more because it's like we're back in Egypt. Right? We're producing and producing more bricks, more bricks. And no one ever says, hey, that's enough. We got all. Pharaoh never comes in and says, you know what? My kingdom's big enough. My world is grand enough. No one will ever tell you that. And I think the words of Jesus and Matthew are so haunting to our generation, or at least they are to me. A, a generation, a culture so intent on achieving and producing more and more, Jesus says, what good will it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What good is it to produce and produce and produce and produce, to build and build and build, and gain and gain and gain and conquer and conquer and conquer. What good is it to do all of it, yet in the meantime you forfeit and lose your soul? One of the analogies you'll hear people um, say, in fact, someone said it to me this morning, not to add anything else to your plate, but we, we have this idea that we have this plate that we've been given. And I started wondering, what, what's on your plate? What, what's on your plate right now? As I was thinking about mine, there's this whole marriage. Mr. and Mrs. We're, and then, then there's our, our church that we're a part of. And... I'm a dad. I have not this little anymore, but they're, they're growing up and they're getting bigger. And then there's God in my relationship with him, not, not just simply church, but relating to him. And then there's growing, um, being, being a better leader, uh, my house of a church of um, so many different things. And then there's achievements and, and doing more and more things. And of course, we got to produce. And, and still kids. And we have kind of a limited time to do it, and we're tied to our schedules, constantly looking. And, and kids, sports. And... Like, at some point, you got to clean your house, right? Um, yeah. Oh. And then one other. we we got to have some social media. And sometimes I feel like we're just, ta-da! Look at all I can do. 
And my guess is your life on some level probably feels a bit like this. Don't move, don't stand on unstable ground, watch where you're stepping because it's kind of shaky. But here's the good news. I have found the solution to everyone's problems, okay? Here it is. Just get a bigger plate, right? Because you get a bigger plate and then everything starts to work better. And we can probably do some more kids' activities now. And we got to fold laundry, so that's going to get done. It's not going to sit on the couch. We can go serve somewhere. Um, we got time to do that yard work we've been trying to get done for the last year. Our kids are growing up, and there's more and more activity. This is Don and Pam Faubus at 20. <laughs> We can achieve more and more, so, and we're still at church, and we got to have this still. Ta-da! see a problem? So, so here's the, the first part of the problem. No matter what you do, you don't get a bigger plate. You have 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's it. And the second part of the problem is if you had a bigger plate, all you would do is put more on it. See, in this creation story, God creates man. And he says he makes man in his image. It's the image of God that you are made in. But there is also another aspect to that created um, self. Not just simply the image of God, but also the dust of the ground. Image of God dust of the ground. And with that come possibilities and limitations. Because in the image of God that you were created, and there is so much possibility in you. But also you are dust. And there is a finiteness to your being. There is only so much you can do. And our world tells us that you can do anything. You can achieve more, and we have apps to help you do it. And you're going to be better and more productive, and everything will be fine. And you don't have to worry about it. Image of God and dust of the ground. I wonder, wonder if it's possible to come to the end 
to come to the end of it all and realize, realize that you spent all of your time, energy, effort on things that don't matter so much. You started a business, but you ended a marriage. Your kids got into their dream college, but you never taught them the way of Jesus. You have letters that follow your name now, but you learn the hard way that intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing. You made a lot of money, but you never grew rich in the things that mattered most. You saw all 24 seasons of The Bachelor, but you never learned to pray. And I used to be afraid of failing, but the older I get, I think I'm more afraid of succeeding at the things that don't matter that I would pour all my time, energy, effort into this and would lose my centeredness on Christ. And we're invited into this life of a rabbi named Jesus. And I think it's fascinating. We talk so much about Jesus' attitudes and actions, what he did. We very rarely ever talk about his pace of life. And we assume that the two are not really connected. Because it's not possible in our culture, in our society, to live at that pace. And so let's just talk about the attitudes and the actions. And we wonder why it is that we can't be more like Jesus when we can't even slow down a little bit to walk like he did when we move at his pace. And, and that's the beauty of what the disciples got to do. Because Jesus called these 12 men, these apostles, but there were so many others that followed him, who, who wanted to be like him. And one of the verses we read last week, we're going to come back to in a, a few minutes, talks about this yoke of a rabbi, the yoke of Jesus. And a rabbi's yoke was basically his teaching. The way that he understood the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The way he thought they ranked in importance. And so to follow him was to take on his teaching. And as that, you were a disciple, someone who followed Jesus. And you had three basic goals. One, be with Jesus. Two, become like Jesus. And three, that it would transform you to do what he would do if he were here, if he were you. And Jesus invited his disciples to come and follow him. Come and be like him. Come and learn from him. Come and follow him. And as Westerners in this achievement culture, we take it, okay, great, we want to be just like Jesus. Let's learn, let's watch what Jesus did, how he treated people, how he acted, how he responded, what his language was, how he talked to people, how he encouraged people. We want to be just like that. 
But we miss, I think, a huge aspect of Jesus' life. It wasn't just the attitudes and the actions. It was also the pace that he lived at. And you hear constantly, especially in Luke, that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place to pray. Or Jesus was walking along the road and he was going somewhere. And someone came up to him and talked to him. And here's the crazy thing. He actually had time to stop and talk to them. When was the last time you were going somewhere and you had time, I'm sorry, you made time to stop and talk? Would you even notice And listen, this is not me preaching it to you. This, this is me preaching it me. And if it's for anyone else, I'm, I'm gr- that's great. But, but let me tell you, my pace of life sometimes gets out of control. Where I don't notice the people around me. And he tells this amazing story. One of my favorite stories in all of the, the Gospels of Mary and Martha. Cash did fantastic. Good job reading this morning. Thank you for reading at a slower pace because I think it just, it fit the story so well. But you have Mary or Martha who's working and working and working and doing and doing and doing. And you have Mary who's sitting. And Martha gets irritated gets irritated. And Jesus says, no, no, no. She has chosen what is better. But, but the genius of the story in Luke's telling it is not just in the story itself. It's in the context the story happens. See, the genius of the story is not just the story of Mary and Martha, but it's the story that precedes Mary and Martha. Because the story that precedes Mary and Martha is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that most of you have probably heard. But the story ends with this invitation to join Jesus, and he says, go and do likewise. So the story of the Good Samaritan ends with go and do. Go and do good. But following that story is the story of Mary and Martha that seems to end in an entirely different place. Not go and do, but an invitation to come and sit. And what I'm finding as I I get older is the more I come and sit, the better I do going and doing the things that really matter, the things that are better the things that really make a difference in this world. Because it's so easy to get tied in to what's right now and what's in front of us that we lose sight of what matters. And I ask that question, what's on your plate? Because one of the things that that God created you for 
He created you to be able to grow and thrive and live in this world. He created your soul to be able to breathe. And to have life. And to go somewhere. But we have our marriage. And being a dad. our relationship with God and being a leader in our kids' sports and achieving more and more stuff and laundry Here's the thing. It doesn't really fit. We we live in a world where people are suffocating and their souls can't breathe. And yet it, we expect to look more and more like Jesus when there's not any room for us to grow. You, you wonder how long it's going to last. A few days? Maybe a week? Listen, listen to the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for your yoke is e for my yoke is easy my burden is light Are you suffocating? Are you doing and going harder and faster and producing more and more and yet your soul is dying 
and you wonder why, why can't I respond more like Jesus? Why don't I have more patience? Maybe because the pace is killing you. Maybe because you can't slow down long enough to be with him. Can I, I remind you of something? You live here. That, that little, little dot right there. You live there. The whole world does not revolve around you. And if for a day you slowed down, the world would not stop either. And the only way we could possibly think that this is healthy is if we believed the world actually revolved around us. So I want to give you four rhythms really quickly that I believe will help your soul to breathe. Because there is a limited capacity. And, and right next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that capacity. And, and making sure priorities are right. But I want to give you these four rhythms to kind of lead into that. The first is silence and solitude. It's simply slowing down, being quiet, and being still in the presence of God. Not producing, but just simply allowing God to speak to you and love you. It's drowning out the noise. And not just the audible noise that our ears take in, but the noise that's so distracting to our heart and to our soul. It's slowing down and resting and praying. And prayer, not just simply to get God to do what we want Him to do, but praying to be formed by God and allowing God to speak to our soul. And allowing him to reorder our priorities in our day. The second is Sabbath. And not in a legalistic sense of it has to be this day, it's sun, but finding time. Because Sabbath first occurs in the Bible, not in Exodus 20 as a law, but as a rhythm of life for God in Genesis 2. As he finishes the work of creating that he has done, God rested. And the word rested there is the word Shabbat. It is the verb form of Sabbath that we hear later as a noun in Exodus 20. That it wasn't just simply a law that was up here that you had to obey. That it was a gift that God gave himself to enjoy his creation. All the work that he had been doing, he rested and it, it's not this idea that I don't think that God was exhausted and worn out from it, but that he stopped, that he ceased, that he enjoyed his life and what he had created for us and enjoying the people that he had put here to enjoy life with. One afternoon, Jesus, 
on a Sabbath is walking through a grain field. And he picks some heads of grain to eat. And the Pharisees jump all over him. And Jesus reminds them, the Sabbath was made for man. It was made for you to enjoy, to stop, to slow down. And my guess is most of us don't have a day in the week where we cease to produce, where we stop what we're doing and simply enjoy the presence of God in our life. The third rhythm is simplicity. Simplicity. We have so much in our world, and you have so much. Psychologists have called it decision fatigue now. The the problem isn't, am I going to have something to wear? It's that I have so much to wear, I'm anxious about what I'm actually going to wear. And it's not, do I, am I going to have food to eat? It's, but which restaurant am I going to go to? Or which meal are we going to make? And that's why when you, gentlemen, when you say to your wife, or, or wives, you say to your husbands, where are we going to go eat? I don't know. So many, I don't want to decide, you decide. Because we're so tired of making choices. And, and to make it worse, we collect everything. You realize the storage unit business in our nation brings in $38 billion a year. $38 billion to store stuff that we do not use. Start. Start by going through your house and getting rid of the things you haven't used in the last six months or that you won't use. And don't go sell them on faith. Give them away. Give them to someone who's in need. And then the last one is slowing down. Slowing. Okay? So so seriously, try this. I've, I've been trying this over the last week. It's driving me crazy. If you see me shaking, driving down the road, this is why. Try this. Drive at the speed limit. Don't go slower because that's annoying but drive at the speed limit. If it says 35, drive 35. Go at that pace. When you're walking, like intentionally walk. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the store with Kaylee or or Caleb when he was younger and I'm walking into the store. Come on, come on. You know, five steps ahead of them holding my hand back. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Try this. Walk slower. Today, when you go to lunch, and you see that that person pulled into the parking spot right down the road from you at the same time, and you're telling your family, hurry, hurry, we got to beat them in, we got to beat them in. Intentionally take a little bit longer and let them go in first. You can get a, a Dr. Pepper or something to kill the, the shakes. But try this. Be intentional about slowing down. Slowing, moving at a slower pace. So maybe if we moved at a slower pace, we would see people, people who are hurting, who need help, who simply need someone to say, hi, how are you today? Because this question, 
What will this new pace of life do to our souls? I'll tell you, it haunts me. But what God wants for you to be able to do is to realize that He has the power to resurrect. But here's the thing. It doesn't happen all at once. You can't say today, okay, this is, this is it, I'm, I'm good, and then everything just go back to normal. It takes time. It takes cultivating the soil. It takes allowing those new roots to go deep, deep, deep into the ground. It requires the sun to shine on you. It requires rain to water and give life. And it requires oxygen to breathe. There are so many of us, not just in this room, but in this world, who are suffocating. How do we know that? We we have more depression, more suicide, more medication, more self-medicating than any society in the history of the world. It, it's impossible to not see that we're suffocating. But if we can be intentional about these rhythms, then I believe God will begin to breathe new life into your soul. So we come to the table of the Lord. And it is a table of Sabbath. It is a table of rest. It is a table that you don't have to work to earn your spot. It has been done for you. It is a table of simplicity. A table of bread and a cup. That we take that reminds us of the work of Christ. So that we gather here as one. And it is a table of slowing as we slow down and reflect on the gracious gift of our God. But not just the gracious gift of our God, but what that gracious gift did to connect all of us as brothers and sisters to the promise of Jesus. So would you come to the table?